0: Amen. Thanks, Ken. Thank you, worship team. Good morning. How are we doing? Good, good. I got some greats and some awesomes. I'll try not to mess that up. Super glad that you're here. Uh, If you're visiting with us, we're honored to have you. Um, If I've never met you, I'd love to get to meet you after this service out in the commons. I'll be out there with other elders and and would welcome a conversation if you have time. Uh, We're going to be in John chapter 14 this morning. So, if you're visiting with us, we're going through the Gospel of John together. Uh, We've made it to chapter 14. And uh, in this particular section, there's actually a lot of uh, several different angles we could go with the passage we're looking at. It's full, beautiful, rich, truth. Um, This contains one of the I am statements, which you just heard Ken read I am the way, the truth, the life. But really, verse 1 of chapter 14 kind of sets the tone, the context uh, for the passage. And, and, and it gives us an understanding of why Jesus is saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so that's where we're going to begin together this morning uh, in John 14, verses 1 through 3. And then we're going to move on down because after Jesus makes this statement that he is the way, the truth, and the life, Thomas is going to ask a question, then Philip's going to ask a question, and we're going to look at how their questions uh, really point us back to the same place. In verse 1, though, we read these words from Jesus. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If we're not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And so the first verse tells us a little bit about what's going on. The hearts of the disciples are troubled, and there are a lot of reasons for the troubleness that they're experiencing. Uh, A couple of those reasons are, in the previous chapter, after Jesus is washing their feet, he says, hey guys, one of you is going to betray me. So they already know there's a betrayer among them. In the bigger scene of what's happening um, in the region, they know that the, the political and religious kind of heat is ramping up against Jesus. There have been many threats on his life. There have been threats on Lazarus' life, and Lazarus was raised from the dead, and so there have been death threats against both of them, and the disciples are thinking, hey, we're probably on the list too. Not only that, Jesus is saying, hey, guys, I'm getting ready to depart. I'm getting ready to head out, but it's okay. I'm going to leave you with the command. So from now on, the people will know that you're my disciple, not because you're with me physically, uh, follow me around with my presence here, but they'll know you're my disciples. By the way, you love each other after I'm gone. And so for all these reasons, the hearts of the disciples are very troubled. This word troubled means to be turbulent, to be anxious, to be distraught, nervous even. And so there's something stirring inside the hearts of the disciples, and, and it's to these disciples that Jesus says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe, you believe in God, believe, and this is a command, also in me. So whatever remedy Jesus is going to offer to the disciples, whatever solution he's going to offer up, it's rooted in this idea of believing in Christ. And so just a quick review. We talk about belief in the English language. We mean a lot of different things depending on what we're, what we're pointing it at. But whenever the Bible talks about belief, this idea of faith, it's the implications of believing in something to the extent that you trust it. Okay, so you could take a step back and say, I believe this, I believe that, I believe this, I believe that. But this kind of belief is the kind of belief that you say, if I believe it, you will know I believe it by the way I live my life. There will be an outward evidence of this inward belief in the form of trust. And so as Jesus is talking to his disciples about the troubledness of their hearts, he's saying, listen, you trust God, trust me also. And then those few verses we just read, Jesus gives to them six different promises. We're going to walk through these promises together now. So as we walk back through what he says, the first thing he says in verse two is, In my father's house, there are many rooms. And so what Jesus is going to do is he's going to use this kind of this symbolism or this metaphor of a father's house to, to illustrate for us how God's kingdom works. So at different places in the Bible, God's kingdom or heaven are are referred to in different ways. It's it's referred to as a city or as a kingdom. Here it's referred to as a house. But the main thing I want you to see as we get started here is the first thing is this. It's his father's house. Whatever heaven is, it belongs to God. Okay, and that's important. Heaven is not a location somewhere in the universe and, and God found it. Okay, it's his. He built it. The illustration of a house here is the idea in the first century that if you were a father of a household and you had children, as you had children, you would just build onto your house. And oftentimes your children, when they get married, would, would continue to live in your house. As long as there was enough provision, as long as there was enough for them to live off of, your sons would get married the wives would come in, and he would just build onto the house and just keep building onto the house. And so that's the imagery here. Now, he's not speaking literally about heaven, wanting us to think about heaven solely as a big house or a mansion on a hill. He's using this as a symbolism to help us understand something about heaven. And first and foremost is this, the focal point of heaven is God. This is the first promise. Now, that may not sound like a promise, but that is an incredibly important promise. It almost just sounds like a description. The focal point of heaven is God. But if we go to Revelation chapter 21, and we get more of a literal description of what heaven is going to be like, I want you to listen to this. This is Revelation 21. I'll begin in verse 1. This is a description. Interestingly enough, the same author, John, Just a little background, he's one of the disciples, becomes an apostle. After Judas betrays Jesus, he's replaced in Acts 1. So now you're back to 12. Of those 12, John is the only one who did not die a martyr's death. He suffered greatly. They persecuted him greatly. One of the stories is that they actually put him in a vat of boiling oil to try to kill him, and he survived. And so then they exiled him to an island where God gives him this final revelation, which is the book of Revelation, written by the same author. Listen to the description of what John sees as God gives him this amazing imagery and a kind of visual description of heaven. Verse 1 Then I saw a new heaven, a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw a holy city, New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, and this is where we begin to see the focal point of heaven is not Jerusalem. It's not all the other peripheral imagery of what might be there. But listen, here's the focal point. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. That is the main point of heaven. That is the main point of eternal life. That is the thing you should be most excited about, most looking forward to when you think about when this life ends, the new life begins, is that God, whatever heaven is, whatever it looks like, the center of it is God dwelling with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Verse 5, and he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. See, when we talk about heaven, maybe at a funeral, we focus on the no more weeping part, right? No more suffering. That's true. Comfort comes in knowing that when the suffering in this life is done, suffering's done for you, right? But the reason suffering is done and the reason there are no more tears is because why? Because God is now dwelling with man. That's the focal point of heaven. So as Jesus is speaking to the troubled heart of hearts of his disciples, he says, "Guys, not, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me." Here's the first promise. The focal point of heaven, it won't be you and it won't be me. It'll be God himself, God the Father. And the second part of that first promise is this. In my Father's house, there is what? Many rooms. Now, again, this is not literally one big mansion floating up in the sky somewhere, and every time somebody becomes a Christian, God's like, oh, let's build one more room. Oh, hey, go add on one more room. This is is meant to symbolize something. And the idea of being many rooms is the idea that the rooms are countless. The dwelling places for God's people are countless. There's enough room for you. I want you to think about that. There is enough room for you. You may be sitting here today wondering, I wonder if there's enough room for me. Not just in this church, but in God's kingdom. Is there enough room for me in heaven? Is there a chance I could get in? And Jesus gives you this promise. Listen, there's plenty of room in my Father's house. There are many rooms, countless rooms, more than enough room. If you're already a believer, there's enough room for your neighbor. There's enough room for that person down the street who you've never met, but God keeps putting on your heart. There's enough room for the coworker who keeps bringing up spiritual conversations in the workplace. and There's enough room. Why? Because Jesus says, in my Father's house, there are many rooms. And so he gives them that second promise. The third promise is this. Jesus is preparing a place for you in his Father's kingdom. Now, I want to talk about this one for just a minute. What does it mean that Jesus is preparing a place for you? He says, I go to prepare a place for you. Does that mean that Jesus rolls into heaven, puts on his carpenter belt with his tape measure and his pencil, and his speed square, and he gets out his saw and his hammer, and he's literally building on rooms. He's preparing the place for you, because I've I've heard that taught. I've heard that maybe explained even in in a funeral, that Jesus is preparing a place. It's going to be nice. It's going to have all your favorite stuff in it, to which I say, yes, your favorite stuff will be there. Guess what your favorite stuff is? God. (laughs) So the idea here, I think, that when we think about heaven in this way, God's preparing a place for me. Our view is too narrow. We're thinking about God customizing a place in heaven just for me. And we don't realize that what God is preparing is all of heaven. And it's much bigger than you and me. When you read in the book of Revelation the description of God's people, we get these these descriptions that the, the, the numbers of the people were so many that John couldn't count them. And it sounded like roaring water just flooding into God's kingdom. In Revelation 21, again, I'll just read a couple verses towards the end of the chapter Here's what John says it looks like. He says in 22, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God and the Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God is its light, or gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. That's all beautiful imagery, isn't it? There will be no need for a temple in heaven. Why? Why? Because God's there. His presence is fully known. There will be no need even for a sun. There will be no light switches on the wall. Why? Because God's glory will be enough. But then listen to what is also described. Verse 24 By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. Listen. Jesus is preparing room for the nations. He's going to prepare a place for you, and you, and you, and you. There are many rooms. There's plenty of room. As Jesus goes to prepare a place, he's preparing a place for the nations to come together. There is no more gates. Why? Because it's one kingdom, one people of God. With God at the focal point. And so the third promise that Jesus gives is, yes, he is in fact going to prepare a place, but it's much bigger than just a custom room that you're going to love. He's preparing a place for God's people together to worship. The fourth promise here is Jesus will come again. He says, I will come again, and I will take you to myself. That's good news. Now think about these guys. They've just been told... By Jesus, he's getting ready to leave. Okay? He's saying, but listen, guys, it's okay because I'm going to come again. And I'm going to take you with me. And so the promise that he's leaving, the guys, listen, I, you're going to see me again. Now think about it for just a minute. I'll, I'll offer up a, a, an illustration that, that may help. I was talking about this story earlier this morning about a hiking trip that, that I went on with a couple of buddies. I have a couple of buddies I hike with every year. And uh, and about four years ago, we had this little bit of a traumatic experience at the end of the hike with one of my buddies, Um, for the sake of just his anonymity, we'll call him Randy Wood, Um, and so, um, (laughs) that may actually be his name, but anyway, he's leading worship at a church right now, so he's not watching online, so he has no idea I'm talking about him, but it's okay. So a couple things that kind of set up the scene. One is, um, we're rolling into uh, this particular trailhead at about 3 a.m., so it's dark, It's a little intimidating this is where we pull up to the trailhead to get ready to go hike and as we're pulling in there's this swarm of emergency vehicles at the trailhead and it's dark and so we're trying to like what's going on over there i mean we just drove from texas we've been on the road about 12 hours something's happening our adrenaline's flowing It was just a really kind we never figured out what it was it was rescue people and something had happened with the hiker we didn't know what it was so we go on about our business we hike in daylight breaks we make it to the top of this ridge it's a couple thousand feet above where we had parked in terms of elevation it's a hard hike, and a bear crosses the trail, okay? So this is, this is our kind of opening day experience. So you spend four or five days in the woods, and what happens by the end of that is you start to long for home. You start to long to see the people you love most. I start missing my wife and my boys like crazy, and so I cannot wait to, like, as much as I love the experience, to pack up, get back to the car, and just drive straight home. And we all feel this way. So on the way out, another part about um, hiking when you're carrying a lot of weight, and and you're all kind of in the group built differently, different strides. We, we, we hike at a different pace, a different rhythm, okay? And so on the way out, um, I tend to get out in front of everybody else. And it's not, it's just, it's just my, my pace. I go faster. So we stopped up on the ridge where we saw the bear for one last picture, group photo. We're like, all right, guys, it's, it's a mile down to the truck. Everybody's going to fall, you know, just go at your own pace. We'll all get there. Then we'll get loaded up and we'll head out. So we head off. Down And we kind of break. And so I'm out in the front of the trail. There's another guy behind me, and then Randy's in the back. And so I get to the truck, and I'm like, oh, relief. I get some fresh clothes out of the truck, open up the ice chest. It's still got cold drinks in it, get something refreshing, put on my flip-flops. Backpack is off. Whew, I'm ready for the drive home. About 10 minutes later, the next guy comes in. He's like, oh, man, I can't wait to get this pack off, get my flip-flops on, and get my fresh drink and clean clothes. And ah, another 10 minutes goes by, and no Randy. I'm like, now, when was the last time you saw Randy? He's like, well, up on the hill when we took that picture. It was the last time I saw Randy. And I'm like, hmm, I think we should go look for him. He's like, ah, we'll just give him a few more minutes. And so he'll be here. We wait a few more minutes. We wait a few more minutes. Now it's been, you know, it's been a while since we've seen Randy. It's been over an hour since we've seen Randy. And so he's like, man, we should go look for him. So we've got, you know, our flip-flops on, and so we go back up this hiking trail to go find Randy. And, uh, and the good news is we, we find Randy. He had, on the way down, the, the trail forks, and he had gone down the wrong fork. And so, and, and to make the matters worse, so not only is he temporarily lost, um, he, on this other trail, he passes where the parking lot elevation is and goes down, you know, another thousand feet of elevation, which means he's lost, and now he has to go back uphill with a heavy pack and try to find his way. He's missing home, right, so he's sad about, it's going to, you know, prolong me getting to see my wife and kids, man, I ever see him again, he's, he's angry, you know, he's mad at himself, ah, oh, I took a wrong turn, he's mad at me, go figure, shouldn't have left me, we finally find Randy, and I'll never forget just this, this explosion of emotion of all of, just sadness and anger and just like, ah, he buries his head in my chest and just hugs me and starts crying. And I'm like, it's okay. Randy. Here, you want something to drink? Now, think about that same experience if up on the top of the mountain i had said before we left hey here's what's about to happen we're going to go down the mountain and randy you're going to get you're going to take a wrong turn but it's okay you're going to turn around you're going to come back up to where the 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 trail had split mike and i are going to be there to greet you with fresh cold drinks and we're going to give you a big hug it's all going to be okay you're going to see me again so just for a little while we're going to be separated Now imagine how much different his experience would have been as he takes the wrong turn knowing it's okay Yes, it's going to be a lot of hard work. I'm going to come back, but I'm going to see my friends again. I'm going to see home again. I'm going to see my family again. Imagine how different that would have been. In a much bigger scale, this is what Jesus is doing for his disciples. Guys, it's going to be a, you're not going to see me for a while. i give you a heads up. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And listen to me. I will come again. I will see you again. You will see me again. And I love this fifth promise. Because not only will we see him again, he says, I will come again and will what? Take you to myself, which is really two promises there in the end. But I love who's doing the work of taking me. Who is it? It's Jesus. Jesus does the work to take you to heaven. Such simple words, but such deep, rich theology. So we don't get to heaven by taking ourselves. You can't make your way to heaven. He doesn't say, listen, I'll leave you a map. Hopefully you make it. If you've got enough strength, enough morality, if you're a good enough person, I'll see you there. He says, what? No, 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 guys, I'm going to come get you. You can't get into heaven unless I take you there. So not only will you see me again, but I will come to you and I will take you to my father's house. It reminds me of something that Peter says in one of his letters in 1 Peter Chapter 1, listen to what he says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Who caused you to be born again into this living hope? God did. Think about that. God did. Then listen to what he says next. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept where? In heaven for you. Peter's talking about heaven. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. God caused you to be born again. God is keeping this promise and he's guarding it for you in heaven isn't that good news that's good news for these guys that's good news for us so so many of us think that we're going to get into heaven if we if we get if we get our religion right if we get all the steps right if we find the right religion if we if we impress god with our lives i can't tell you how many times i've had a conversation with somebody about heaven how do you do you think you're going to you believe you'll go to heaven yes why do you believe that what's your confidence in Because I try to be good. I do more good than bad. Listen, if that's what you're resting on for getting into heaven, you won't make it. You need something better than that, bigger than that, more sure than that. You need the work of Jesus. The work he has done on the cross, in the grave, through his resurrection, is the only work that will get you into heaven. He does the work to take you to the Father's house that has many rooms. Man, that's good news. Listen, if you're still striving to get into heaven on your own strength, not only will will you be sorely disappointed in the end, but you're going to use up this life in frustration and failure and shame. Jesus' words to you are this. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Because you will see me again, and I will take you to heaven. But you notice he didn't use the word heaven? Where is he going to take you? Go back to this. He says what? I will take you to myself. That's interesting. I will take you to myself, myself, that where I am, you may be also, listen, Jesus is not saving you to a utopic, imaginary world where there's lots of floating around in pixie dust with all your favorite things there. Jesus is saving you to himself. So when we talk about God being enough, Trusting in Jesus. Resting in Jesus. Jesus is the answer. Those can kind of become cliches and lose the essence of what eternity is all about. So if, if you think about heaven, if the most exciting thing to you is not the fact that you will be with Christ, listen, I, I, I'm tempted to say that you're going to be really disappointed But it may be that you would never even get there to be disappointed. Like, that's the main point of it. Go back to Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2. What was the sweetness of the garden? It was God walking with Adam and Eve in fellowship. He dwelt with them and they dwelt with him. Unfettered, uninhibited, complete access until what? sin. And then now, Adam and Eve's relationship with each other was broken. They hid from each other. They covered themselves up. And then what do they do with God? They hid from God. Sin, shame, death. That's why in the end, Revelation 21 says, guess what? There will be no more sin, shame, and death. All the things that broke fellowship between Adam and Eve, between Adam and Eve and God, will be gone. And guess what? God will make his dwelling place there, and he will dwell with man forever and so jesus leaves the promise for these guys listen guys you will not only see me again i'm coming to take you i'm going to rescue you from the suffering of this world i'm going to save you not to some utopic fairyland but to me to me and so he gives them these six promises and says listen you trust in god trust in me trust in these promises." Now, a couple of the disciples are going to ask questions, and the answers to the questions are really going to point us right back to where we've already been. So in verse 5, Thomas says to him, Lord, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? So it's really a two-part question. We don't know where you're going, so how in the world could we ever find it? Which tells us that Thomas did not get what you and I just walked through. Right? How do we get there? Where where are we going and how do we get there? So this is the question asked to which Jesus then answers. Verse 6. Jesus said to him, (laughs) you don't know the way? I'm the way. Did you not hear what I just said? I'm going to take you there. I am the way and the truth and the life. Thomas, no one comes to the Father except through me if you had known me you would have known my father also from now on you do know him and you have seen him so Jesus's answer this beautiful I am statement I am the way I am the truth I am the life is an answer to Thomas's question about where we're going and how to get there And so we go back to that first verse when Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. The the antithesis for that, the solution for the troubled heart rooted in this answer, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And I want you to think about this. I don't know fully everything Jesus meant by those three descriptions of who he is. But the idea of knowing the way is the idea that if you really want peace, It's only found in Christ. The way through this life, the way into heaven, the way through your troubles, that peace that you are longing for is only found in the person of Jesus. Only. I am that way. Think about the peace of mind my buddy Randy would have had if he'd have been looking at a map. And he got to the split in the trail and went, oh, you go that way. Peace, right? But no, he had to guess. Turmoil. Turmoil. I hope this is the right way. Now, here's what what we have to stop and, and and understand and realize, church. This is not good advice for you for that moment in time where you encounter trouble. Jesus will also say in the Gospel of John, in this world you will have many troubles. So really the question isn't, when is the next time I will be troubled? The question today is, what is your heart being troubled by right now? And the solution for that troubledness that you're experiencing right now is found in Jesus' statement, I am, first of all, I am the way. I am the way through that trouble. Not around it, not avoiding it, through it. Something we talk about in our redemption groups. It's one of our counseling ministries here. We, when we go through our redemption group um, together, we go back through our story, through really painful moments. Why? Because healing is not found in avoiding pain, pretending things didn't happen. It's being willing to walk through that pain with the hand of Jesus, allowing him to walk you through that pain to healing. He is the way for your troubled hearts today. Not only is he the way, he is the truth. We really could spend a lot of time here, but you think about these guys and they were floundering in what was true. They grew up believing certain things were true. And as Jesus is teaching them and unveiling himself to them, over the last three years, they're discovering things that they thought were true or not true. Things that they thought were fully true or half true or not true. And and so now they're learning all this new truth. Oh, heaven's about God? That's a truth. You are the way? That's a truth. Nobody comes to the Father but through you? There's a truth. Now listen. So, I didn't grow up in church, so I didn't have a bunch of really bad theology that had to be kind of unpacked and corrected. Um, But my wife, part of her story, she did grow up in church, and along the way, she picked up things that that either she heard or she thought she heard that just weren't true. And I can remember her as a young adult after we got married, we're doing Bible studies together, and we read something, and she'd go, Oh my gosh, all my life I thought this was true, and the Bible just said this, and now I'm realizing this is the real truth. And there was like a a grieving period for her at a point. Like she had to grieve letting go of all of the the myths and the half-truths and the not-truths to embrace the truth. But once she did, there was this immense security found. And the more that she's grown in that truth, the less insecure she feels about whether or not she's going to heaven, whether or not God loves her. I want you to think about that. Insecurity is is built upon non-truths. Just in the same way that every heart in this room is experiencing trouble, there's an insecurity creeping and lurking somewhere around your heart right now. Whether it's an insecurity about the way people think about you, feel about you, do they love me, do they accept me, do they think this about me, does this person really care about me? And then then we begin to do what? We begin to apply that to God, don't we? Well, does God really like me? I don't feel like these people like me, so why would God like me? God knows everything I've done? Oh, wow, there's no way he would like me. For God to so love the whole world except for me, his only son. So, where is your eternal security come from? And Jesus says, I want you to find that in me. Not only am I the way, I am the truth. And then he says, This, I am the life. I, I used to have, when I was a young Christian, I would think about life. Organic, physical life, and then we think about eternal life. It's like just two different, completely separate things. But Jesus says things like, I've come to give you life and give it abundantly. Gospel of John talks about how life is sourced in Jesus at creation. And so I don't want you to think about heaven as like a different kind of life that's mystical and floaty. And there's a lot of like just dry ice, haze floating in the air. And Like I want you to think about this life, but better. This life, but perfected like you will resurrect with the physical body lungs that still breathe in air stomachs that still digest food like a perfected version of, of what you are so the idea isn't that like it's going to be some kind of floaty mystical dreamy life land somewhere but that you will have a resurrected body that no longer has ailments it's no longer susceptible to cancer or disease and, right all those sorts of things you will have eternal life life everlasting in a perfected new version of what you are. And so listen, this idea that Jesus is the life, he's the source of life as it's meant to be. Adam and Eve in the garden had immense sense of security. They had an incredible peace, but they also had a joy. And think about that. All the things that we do in this life to try to obtain and acquire joy, happiness, peace. What do, you, what do you chase after? What are you going after right now in life to find joy? Maybe it's a better, it's a more fit you. Maybe that, maybe you think, if I could become more fit, if I could just lose some, some weight, I would be happier. I'll have joy in that. You may be healthier, but don't look for joy in that. If I could just get this group of people to like me, to invite me to go somewhere, if I could just feel accepted by these people, then I'll have joy. Jesus says, you want real joy? The real real richness of joy that comes with abundant life, it's found in me. I am. I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. I am the life you are chasing after. I am the life you are hungry for. I am the life. And we're going to end today by looking at Philip's question. So now Philip is going to speak up in verse 8 and he says to him, Lord, and you can kind of almost uh, kind of hear this thing, this kind of thought going on in Philip's head, okay, so heaven's about God, heaven's about, uh, like then tell us more. So he says in verse 8, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, or else believe on account of the works themselves. And so here, what Jesus is doing, if we go back to verse one, remember what Jesus said, the antidote that was for a troubled heart? Believe in God, believe in me. And so Philip's like, okay, well then just show us who the Father is. And Jesus is like, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Remember I said, believe in him, believe in me. I am in him, he is in me. Like, I'm I'm a representation of the Father. You know what the Father looks like because you know what I look like. Now here Jesus doesn't mention the Spirit, but the Spirit is going to come in in a couple of chapters. We get this beautiful, rich Trinitarian theology here. But the point of it isn't to make us theologians. The point of it is what? To give us hope in the midst of troubleness. And so eight times in those few verses in that dialogue with Philip, the father is mentioned. And three times, the word believe is mentioned. The father, know the father, see the father, believe the father, trust the father. So Jesus isn't gonna give more answers. He's just gonna point right back to the same answer for Philip, for Thomas, and for you and for me. Let not your hearts be troubled. Now, here's what we don't want to do. We don't want to take these promises and write each one of them down on a piece of paper and go, okay, I've got those. I'm going to put them in my pocket. So today, if I start feeling troubled, I'll pull them out and figure out which one to apply to the trouble. Okay? That's not the point here. That's not how you take this truth to remedy a troubled heart. Here's the point Jesus is making. If your mind and your heart are consumed with heaven, as it really will be, you won't have any time to be troubled with the things going on here in this earth. If your heart is focused on the goodness of Christ, exalting him, making much of him, and being overwhelmed with his majesty, you will not be consumed with the trouble of this world. You can't do both at the same time. That's why the scriptures say, hey, fix your mind on things that are above Quit focusing on, quit dwelling on the things of earth. I know, but I've got to fix this, and this relationship's all in jeopardy, and and this is broken, and I don't know what's going to happen over here because I haven't figured this one out. We get consumed with all these earthly troubles. And Jesus says, listen, let's let's, let's draw our gaze upward, shall we? Let's focus on heaven for a minute. Okay, what's heaven going to be like? God's going to be there. What else? God's going to be there. How are we going to get there? I'm going to take you there. But we don't know the way. I am the way. You see how Jesus, all of his answers are just pointing right back to this central truth. The focal point of heaven is God. Listen, I don't know what your heart is troubled with today. But the same solution is applied to each of us on a daily basis. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe in Christ. Trust Him and His promises. As we wrap up today and think about application for our daily lives, like I know that the troubles that you are experiencing in life potentially are really big. And so it's easy for me to come out on stage and go, just trust God and sprinkle some, some happy dust on you. About your merry way? Like, no, this is deep. And the pain that is associated with those troubles oftentimes is deep. That's why the word means turbulent, like it's almost like this violent turbulence inside of you, this unsettledness, this angst, this anxiety that you feel. And Christ is not just throwing flippant answers at you, flippant solutions. Hey, try this one on. If that doesn't work, come back and see me. We'll try this one. He's like, Listen, there is only one solution for your troubled heart. And Jesus says, it's me. And if if that's not enough to give you peace, joy, and security in this life, you will be disappointed with heaven. The reason heaven is filled with glory is because I will be there. The reason there are no more tears in heaven is because I will be there. The reason there will be no more suffering in heaven is because I will be there. So listen, church, that's that's not just a flippant, lighthearted truth that Jesus is sharing with you today. I can't imagine a greater truth to share with you. If you're here today, though, and you aren't a Christian, some of this may sound a little distant from you. You may be like Philip and like Thomas. Like, well, how do I get there? How do I get that? What do I need to do? Do I need to sign up for a class? Where, can, you, can you give me a checklist so I can make sure I get in? And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. You want in? Come, come talk to me today. Pray to me today. Believe in me today. And if that's you, I want to encourage you before you leave here today. When we dismiss in a few minutes, our elders will be out in the, in the commons area. Go talk to one of our elders, please. Our prayer partners will be down at the front of the room when we dismiss. Come grab one of our prayer partners. Any of us will be more than happy to talk with you about becoming a Christian today. Trusting, believing in Christ and Him alone. If there's something else going on in your life, and maybe God's speaking to you in a different way. Again, I'm going to encourage you, grab one of our elders Elders will be out in the commons, they have lanyards on, they'll be honored to answer questions and just talk with you more about getting connected or taking a next step. Maybe it's baptism, maybe it's something else. Like, don't just leave here today without responding to whatever God is speaking to you. So I'm going to pray now, and then our worship team is going to come back out. As I pray, just invite you to pray with me. Um, God, thank you for this powerful word today from John 14. God, um, we thank you, Father, that you don't sit in heaven and leave us to our troubles but you've sent your son to the earth not only to to teach us and to show us the way but but jesus you came to earth to die and resurrect from the grave you have literally overcome the troubles of this world and so now your your invitation to us is to trust in you so we acknowledge today together that you are the way You are the truth, and you are the life. And that no man comes to the Father, no woman comes to the Father, no one comes to the Father, no one gets to heaven but through you. So Jesus, here's my prayer. Draw us to you today.